City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are listening to the Buzzer Beaters podcast on the All Hornets Podcast Network. One podcast feed with multiple shows, making sure we cover the Charlotte Hornets from every angle. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. The All Hornets Podcast Network is affiliated with the Fans First Sports Podcast Group. On today's episode, we will be giving our instant reactions to the Charlotte Hornets trading Terry Rozier to the Miami Heat for a 2027 protected first-round pick and Kyle Lowry. So we'll get right into it. I'll be your today's host, Atticus Ferguson. And as usual, I am your co-host, Eric Barnes. Eric, you know, usually for a minute or two here when we get started, we kind of exchange pleasantries, but I, I kind of just want to jump right into it today. But before we do that, I, I was talking to you off air. I always am curious how people kind of find out about this news, um, you know, what you were doing, how you found it out, and just kind of your initial gut reaction. Obviously, we'll kind of get into our more in-depth analysis here throughout the episode, but yeah, man, when did you, were you staring at your phone right when you got the Woj notification? Did it take you a few minutes and your phone started blowing up? What was going on? No, so actually I was uh, in between appointments at work and I looked down at my phone. It was like, it was a Shams tweet and it was like Charlotte Hornets, trade Terry Rozier, you know, and I'm kind of shocked. I mean, well, honestly, not really too shocked. It was actually kind of expected because, you know, they've been talking about it for a while and you've been hearing those Miami rumors um so really when i saw it i was like oh like not totally shocked you know not super surprised but you know it was just one of those things where you know it's kind of par for the course we've been hearing it for weeks and it finally happened and then i'm looking okay how much free agents uh, or cap space are the hornets gonna have uh and what free agents are gonna be available in the offseason so that's where it took me yeah i i kind of happened to just be looking at my phone like scroll i think i may have even been actually scrolling on twitter as the news broke so i saw the notification right away i've got notifications for shams and Woj on, so i i think it was Woj who had it first i believe so i went and clicked that tweet and saw it right away yeah i wasn't it, there's always like a little bit of surprise because you're never like expecting that sort of news the moment it happens um but i wasn't totally shocked there we had obviously heard a lot of rumblings about Terry going to Miami. He had retweeted a couple of tweets about the Heat. Um, so I mean, the, the the signs were there. I wasn't shocked that it happened um, 
so far ahead of the deadline. I know a lot of deals happen at the last second, you know, the, you know, two days before the deadline, day before, day of the deadline. I wasn't totally shocked that it happened this soon, just because there seemed to be a lot of momentum built for it. Um, and I don't think that's the worst idea to do it so soon for reasons that we can dive into later. But yeah, I mean, obviously the, 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 the biggest reaction was, you know, I'll do, although I do think this kind of, you know, selling at the deadline approach that we're going to see the Hornets go into. And this is obviously the first step. You know, I, I think it's necessary. It is really sad when you lose a beloved player, especially one like Terry who came in uh, after the trade uh, from Kimba. You know, he was a part of that sign-in trade there. He really stabilized the organization as much as he really could uh, and gave us some really good moments, some really fun highlights. And, and it's been a really fun player to root for. And in a time where there's been a lot of nonsense on and off the court, you know, he's been a, a pretty steady hand, I'd say. So really going to miss Terry, really excited to watch him in Miami uh, and, and, you know, compete to win a title. You know, I, I really enjoy watching Jimmy Butler and compete in the playoffs. So having Terry Rozier alongside him, <clears throat> alongside him is going to be really fun. So I'll be rooting for Terry, really excited for him, but, you know, obviously really sad to see someone like that go who's beloved by myself. Um, you know, Eric, I'm sure you feel the same way. And just a, a lot of people amongst the fan base too. Yeah. I mean, for Terry Rozier being in Charlotte um, for, you know, about five years, there wasn't really much success, but there was one thing you can never say about Terry. He always left it out on the floor. Like he was always going all out, playing his heart out, doing everything he could to help the team win. I uh, didn't really find that success, but um, it's kind of bittersweet. Yeah, sad to see him go, but I think as we've touched on in recent episodes, it was something that long-term was the pieces never really fit, so – it was kind of a, a necessary evil, I guess, if you will. Um, but but good luck to Terry down there in Miami. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, those were kind of our initial gut reactions there. Um, I want to kind of give a little bit of a lay of the land here um, for those who may be tuning in late or, or may not be totally filled in on the up and up um, on this deal here. So, in case you missed it, the Hornets traded Terry Rozier to the Miami Heat in exchange for Kyle Lowry and a 2027 first-round pick. That 2027 first-round pick is lottery-protected. So if it conveys to a 2028 pick, it will no longer have any protections on it, meaning that um, we're kind of rooting for the Heat to be in the lottery in 2027 so that the Hornets don't get their pick. And then in 2028, it's a free-for-all for grabs, and then they could potentially end up with – a pick as high as the number one pick and the heat wouldn't be able to do anything about it and keep it. Um, so those are the details of the trade there. Uh, Adrian Wojnarowski also reporting, um, you know, sending out some tweets following this as more information comes in, uh, in the aftermath of the Terry Rozier trade, that there's no immediate plan to buy out Kyle Lowry, um, for the Charlotte Hornets right now. The Hornets are expecting to see if they can work out another trade for him before the February 8th trade deadline. Woj also noted that the Hornets aren't done dealing yet, plan to accumulate future assets ahead of the February 8th trade deadline there. Um, so what one quick thing I wanted to add before I turn it over to you, Eric. You know, some people on, on Twitter and, you know, throughout all sorts of platforms were reacting to this, saying that the Hornets, you know, they feel like they didn't get enough. Um, you know, people not happy with the haul they got in return. I've got a lot of thoughts on that. One thing I do want to say I don't expect Kyle Lowry to play a game for the Charlotte Hornets ever. Um, if they can't make a trade for him, then I expect them to buy him out. But 
hopefully as a Hornets fan, the Hornets will be able to flip him for more assets, even if it's just, you know, a second round pick and an expiring contract or something, right? That way, you know, we so we, we can't judge this trade yet because we don't know what the Hornets are going to be able to get in return for Kyle Lowry. There may be additional assets coming in. Uh, so I do think it's fair to point that out as well. But Eric, just kind of some of your immediate takeaways outside of what you already touched on. I want to get into kind of the what they got in return and the structure of all of that. But I kind of I kind of want to open it up to you first. You know, did the Hornets get enough? Did they not? You know, was it was it too little? Where do you kind of land on that debate? Yeah, it seems that fans always kind of think their players should net them a talent of LeBron James. Like if they're trading someone with talent, like they think. Well, if you're not getting someone that's a superstar, like, is it worth it? And while I understand you don't want to get rid of good players, like, sometimes you just, if the plan is to move off, you got to get what you can. If the Hornets could have gotten more, they would have. Now, could you make an argument that they could have waited to the offseason to make the deal and then maybe got more? Perhaps. But that deal isn't necessarily there in the offseason. Or it could be, but you just don't know. Because by the time the offseason comes around – Maybe there's another Dame Lillard situation and the Heat want to go after them again. So it's one of those things that, you know, for the Hornets, they're clearly looking to the future right now. Um, And Terry clearly wasn't a part of that plan. So he's been playing well. Get your first round pick. And, you know, it's not like, I don't know, like a super high likelihood that it's a really high pick, but it is possible. And if it plays out that it ends up being a high pick in 2028, that's about as, as good of a return as you can get. And even with having that pick, say the Hornets, they kind of want to do more of a retool than a rebuild. They could end up using that pick in a trade for a player in the future like the Pacers did with Pascal Siakam. So basically that pick gives you supreme flexibility, especially as you get closer to 2027 and 2028. And also if the Heat are looking at that time, kind of like they're not quite what they are now, um, maybe that pick could fetch you something big because it's not often in the NBA that picks get traded without protections. So um, overall, I, I mean, I would give the deal like a B for the Hornets. Like it wasn't the greatest thing ever, but um, you're kind of starting that new vision and moving in a different direction. And you got a first round pick out of it and a expiring salary, which is going to help your cap situation. So overall, I think they did pretty well. Yeah. I mean, I think you nailed it for the most part there. I mean, my hope personally is that they don't ever make this pick. Uh, you know, we we were texting today. They're kind of – if they continue along this path, they're kind of going to do like a mini OKC route where they're accumulating and stockpiling a ton of future assets to use. Some they'll, they'll use as intended. Most of them they'll trade and flip them for assets that can help them win sooner than later and, and can be kind of building blocks. You know, my, my hope is that they probably, right, don't ever make that selection and they use that to flip it or, you know, maybe they hold on to that pick but accumulate a bunch of others that they can flip, right? So, you know, I, when they're acquiring draft picks like this, I'm not so much looking at it as, oh, we have to wait until 2027, maybe 2028 to, you know, see what's going to come to fruition from these picks. I, I'm expecting these to be assets that they can flip. But it is funny, too, uh, a lot of times the, the fan base and, and fans across – you know, different teams, they freak out at the lack of assets you get in return. But the thing is, I think the primary motive for the Charlotte Hornets in doing this deal is to get off of Terry Rozier's long-term money. You've got this year, uh, see, I've got the numbers here. He was owed $24.9 million this year. 
uh, next season, it's $26.6 million with $24.9 million guaranteed. So you're getting off of that money long term. You've also got Gordon Hayward, um, not to dive into the Gordon Hayward conversation, but just to give you an overall picture of the cap space that they're clearing here. He's owed $31.5 million this year. He's a $31.5 million cap hit. So you'll be coming off of that as well. So the Hornets are clearing up a large amount of cap space to maneuver, to maneuver and operate within the future. Frees up a lot of financial flexibility. So I think that's the prior, that's a long way of saying that's the primary motive, right? Is getting off of that contract. And so anything else you can get in return, you can kind of look at that as, as icing on the cake. Yeah. So the way I look at it is flexibility. What did the Hornets do today? They gave themselves flexibility. I know you mentioned it in a tweet today about what you thought it was with, you know, with the moves they made and how it's more attractive to general managers. And I think that's absolutely true. You know, obviously the Hornets haven't been very good, but if you're a general manager looking for a position, you have two building blocks in LaMelo Ball and Brandon Miller. We'll just say definitive building blocks. You have a franchise point guard and like a two-way wing. And then you're giving them a ton of cap room. And also you're adding another asset to help them maybe in the future make a trade. So when it comes to the GM search this offseason, is it going to be like a quick one-year turnaround? No, it's not going to be that. But it is something where if you give a guy, you know, two, three years, like he could really make something work out very well for this team considering all the assets that they have. You factor in the Hornets are probably going to end up with a top five-ish pick this year. Considering they have LaMelo, considering they have Brandon, if they hit on that pick this year, I mean, that could totally continue to change the the course of this franchise. So I know we mentioned it on our last pod. You know, you were saying you're kind of just ready to move forward and turn the page. Well, they must have been listening because it took, what, two, three days, and here we are, Terry Rozier's gone. And like you mentioned, they're kind of doing a Oklahoma City light plan here is what it seems. Um, and hopefully continuing to stack assets. And I think some of that can be attributed to the new owners who kind of have a background with hedge funds and finance and stuff like that. So um, I'm fascinated to see, you know, as we move forward into the future here, you know, what they do with this added flexibility moving forward. Yeah, I mean, adding flexibility doesn't guarantee success, but it gives you a real opportunity to do it. Um, And you know, we, this iteration of the Hornets, I feel like, has run its course. If you're going to continue to run it back and do the same thing over and over again, it didn't seem like it, it was going to produce the results you were looking for. They seem to have reached their peak a couple of years ago with a second consecutive play-in berth where they got demolished in that game instantly. Um, I kind of want to go back here for a second. You know, it, it's funny. At one point today, I was just kind of sitting there thinking and – I was kind of thinking about you know, Terry Rozier's played so well this season, especially as of late. And it's like, you know, every time so a player like that has a good performance and, and people tweet out, oh, his trades is you know, trade values going up. And then the Hornets don't get a ton in return from them. It's like, how much are they really increasing their trade value? And then I had to think about it. It's like, well, again, for Miami, for a team like, if you're looking at, uh, at it from the standpoint of Miami, they're not necessarily looking at Terry Rozier playing well and saying, oh, okay. His price is going up. We're going to give up a lot more. They may be thinking, their first line of thinking may be, oh, that contract is a lot more digestible. We're way more willing to take that massive or, or relatively large cap hit 
with him playing like this. Mm-hmm. Now, also, if you want to kind of get into the nitty gritty and the trade detail minutia, you know, that 2027 pick where it's unprotected going into 2028, you know, maybe Terry playing so well helps you leverage uh, and tip the scale on minor details like that. Details that seem minor that could end up being massive down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think it does help tip the scales there. So while Terry playing well didn't yield you, you know, Jaime Jaquez or something massive, some blockbuster headlining deal. I do think it, again, it helps make that contract more digestible and kind of help you leverage some details in your favor that can end up being big down the line. So yeah, that's kind of all I had there. I actually, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, and I think what this trade also does, Brandon Miller, they're really about to see what he can do. You know, he's been hot here lately. He was awesome against Minnesota last night. Um, and now, like, the two spot is his. Now, I mean, it, you could debate if he's playing the two or the three, but, you know, we're going to see this team totally focused around LaMelo Ball and Brandon Miller. And it's going to be, you know, Brandon's had an awesome rookie year, but it's going to be sink or swim, like, you know, you make your mistakes. Like, of course, there will be mistakes and bad nights, but just kind of grow through them. Um, and everything they do moving forward is going to be around those two guys. So, and also to this point in the season, we haven't really been able to see those two guys play together a ton. Now that Terry's gone, like I mentioned, Lamelo is obviously Lamelo. He's get he's running the offense. He's the engine of the offense. But now Brandon Miller is really going to have a chance to really put his stamp on this team and on the offense, as I think his usage will probably end up being, you know, a good bit higher than what it was, you know, when Terry Rozier is getting 30, 35, 40 minutes a game. Yeah, I mean, with this move and as the Hornets continue to make more moves, I don't want to speculate on who may or may not move. You know, we've seen some names turn around there. We kind of know who the popular trade targets are. But as they continue to do this, and as a result of Terry moving, as that singular move by itself, you're going to kind of see the Hornets go into a youth movement for the remainder of the season. And, you know, it's funny, thinking back a few years ago, this was, you know, before LaMelo was even on the team, but the Hornets kind of went into a little bit of a youth movement with, like, Bleak Monk, Devontae Graham, Miles Bridges. And the future didn't seem the brightest, but there was a little bit of hope and the team was fun to watch. And, you know, it was like, okay, you know, there's something to kind of keep an eye out for there as a franchise that had been really stagnant and didn't have, didn't seem to have any direction. There started being some hope for the future. You could, t- you could have that all over again, kind of on steroids because you have a star in LaMelo ball. You've got Brandon Miller who's shown flashes and was the number two overall pick. So, you know, in a season that seems kind of lost from a wins losses standpoint, if you can, if this can now create an opportunity for the young guys to play together more, gel together more, and create a lot more excitement in the fan base, mm-hmm. that's huge. And also, again, kind of going back to my tweet that you referenced, you know, the financial flexibility and the future assets make this general manager and coach opening that we expect to happen a lot more attractive. Well, and on top of that, if you start you know, getting a lot of film of these young guys playing together and looking really promising and developing some real uh, chemistry and culture, mm-hmm. again, that uh, head coach and GM opening that, you know, that hasn't happened, but I think you and I, like most fans, expect that to happen. That becomes that much more enticing, man. Yeah, no doubt. Um, <clears throat> earlier, I heard you mention, you know, with this deal – with Kyle Lowry, you don't think he is going to play really at all for the Hornets? I think in past years that would be true, but as we've talked about a ton on this um, on this show, 
the new CBA, like there's implications of that, that not a lot of, I guess, fans or just general people that follow the NBA realize. I think there's a pretty good chance that he may actually suit up for the Hornets at least for a few games. Now, you may be right. Maybe they're just trying to – maybe he'll sit out with like an injury in quotes or something like that between now and the trade deadline. Um, so maybe they can try to flip him to more of a contender. But I think it's one thing like his, his contract is expiring and he's not a bad guy to have in the locker room for, you know, three, four months. So I could see him just sticking around for the end of the year, uh, playing some games being kind of another vet voice in the locker room. Um, but also on the flip side, you know, obviously if you can extract value out of a 37-year-old Kyle Lowry, then you obviously do that. But I wouldn't be shocked to see him, you know, throw on the Hornets jersey here, you know, over the next few weeks. Well, it would certainly certainly be an all-time sort of niche NBA player reference if you, you know, 10 years from now, like, hey, remember the half season of Kyle, Kyle Lowry with the Hornets? Anyone who has a Kyle Lowry Hornets jersey um, will we'll get a good chuckle anytime you walk into a sports bar. Uh, yeah, while, while you were saying that, I was pulling up uh, a tweet from NBA Central that I saw that was referencing what you spoke about. It said, under the new CBA rules, contenders such as Phoenix, Milwaukee, Boston, and Denver cannot acquire Kyle Lowry from the buyout market as his salary exceeds the mid-level exception threshold. And they that was from Kurt Heilin, H-E-L-I-N, uh, is who they're referencing uh, on that report there. So, yeah, so here, here's my thing. I would prefer to flip him for assets, for sure. Um, if the Hornets are going to keep Kyle Lowry, one, he needs to be a good soldier, right? Like, going from Miami as a title contender to Charlotte, that's kind of uh, being caught dead here. That's got to be tough for a guy like Kyle Lowry, who's not getting any younger anytime soon. If he's willing to come into it with a good mindset, which I'm not sure he would, I'm not sure I would be able to in a situation. I'm not sure I'd blame him. Um, if he can come into it with a good mindset, I'm open to it. I will say this: I would want him to take over the Ish Smith minutes, and then you either <laughs> yes. or keep him out on the bench as a uh, as a veteran, and then it's kind of like a backup in case Kyle Lowry or someone gets hurt when you know the Hornets uh, are prone to getting an injury or two every now and then. So I would only want him to take the ish minutes, uh, and I would not want him to detract from the youth movement we were just talking about, right? I mean, you're you're making moves like getting rid of Terry Rozier um, in part to to go with the youth movement and get these guys playing time. That's at least one of the benefits from it. So don't bring in a guy like Kyle Lowry and detract from that, right? You're you know you're kind of taking two steps forward and and taking one back maybe there. Um, so I would not want that to be a repercussion of that. So it would be interesting to see how that could work. I'm not sure if it's even going to happen, but uh, I'm glad you brought up the whole CBA thing. That is true. That does make it a lot more difficult for them there. Yeah, and while you were talking there, uh, it's kind of sparked something for me with Kyle Lowry's contract. You know, he's making close to $30 million a year. We have seen the reports of, you know, the Hornets are going to, you know, perhaps take on bad contracts to collect assets. Well, maybe Kyle Lowry is the key to that. Since his contract is $30 million, if you're making a trade with a team that has a contract they don't they don't want for, say, the next two, three, four years, um, well, you still have to match it regardless. So maybe Kyle Lowry is that piece going out. So maybe it's not Kyle Lowry to a contender. Maybe it's Kyle Lowry to a team – that wants to get off a bad contract, and in turn, the Hornets are going to get you know premium picks for taking on that bad contract. You know, so um, that'll be something to uh, monitor as we move closer to that.
February 8th trade deadline uh, here soon. Yeah, that's actually a really good point, Eric, and I hadn't considered that. You know, it, since, yeah, you're right. The Hornets have been linked to, you know, continuing to take on more bad contracts. I assume they would be, like Lowry, expiring uh, bad contracts that have big money tied to them. So, yeah, I mean, in order to do that, you're exactly right. You have to have big money to match it within a certain percentage, and Lowry gives you the flexibility to do that. I think that's another – I think there's several benefits to doing this early, and I think that's one of them. Is Kyle Lowry's maybe not the hottest commodity, uh, but obviously if teams are trying to salary dump and, and get creative there, um, then Kyle Lowry gives you a lot of flexibility to do that. As I'm kind of thinking through this live in real time as you bring that up, I could see the Hornets moving Kyle Lowry in some sort of three-team deal. I feel yeah. like that's the most likely situation is Kyle Lowry gets moved in some sort of three-team deal there. But that is the nice thing about doing this and, and not being rushed on the day of the deadline or the night before is that you're going to have plenty of time to do this, especially as the Hornets are obviously looking to make more moves. Um, the Kyle Lowry piece gives them a lot more flexibility to maneuver and operate going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I like well, that they go ahead. I was just going to say comparatively, like if you're talking about Terry and, and Kyle Lowry, like with Terry's contract, he is someone that I'm, I'm not going to call it a bad contract. We'll just call it fair. But that was the big issue we talked about with getting a huge return with Terry, right? Is like, well, yeah, he can help a team, but then again, they will be tied to him for the next three years and a lot of teams probably don't want to commit that type of money. On the flip side, you trade him to Miami, you get that first-round pick, you get Kyle Lowry back, and now you can use that to, you know, maybe add more assets. So, honestly, it's something that a lot of the, you know, general average fan that may not really pick up on, but I do want to credit Mitch Kupchak or the new owners or whoever was involved. Of course, we don't know who exactly, you know, had their hand in it from the outside, but – I do think there are some intricacies to this deal that uh, there's really some some nice aspects and upside for the Hornets here. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's funny, too. One more thing I, w- I want to add. I'm glad they did this early because and I think maybe they should let this be the approach throughout the whole trade deadline. Obviously, if you wait to the last minute, sometimes you're able to squeeze a team for more assets or more favorable terms mm-hmm. at the same time. Charlotte Hornets aren't necessarily in a position to play with their food. This team gets injured, unlike any other, it feels. <laughs> maybe maybe another, maybe another, one aspect of this is as simple as, we're going to get rid of the guy while he's healthy. Because, you know, one, two games from now, there's no guarantee that this guy will be available to play the next game, to play the next week, the next month, the rest of the season. Who knows? So with the injury luck, it honestly may not be a bad idea to move these guys as soon as you can. Hey, maybe you you miss out on a little bit of value or a little bit of leverage, um, you know, versus waiting until the last minute. But you know, at least at least the teams are still going to want to trade for these guys because you know at the time that the trade goes through, they're healthy and available. I, I think that may <laughs> that may be a real factor in this as well. Yeah, well, I mean, there's definitely advantages to being you know one of the first sellers in the market. You know say someone else made a trade with Miami, right? And they got another combo guard or scoring guard or something like that. Well, that's one less team that's interested, which means then you have less leverage. So by not waiting to the deadline, doing it, you know, a few weeks in advance, that is something that, you know, if you wait, you may not get that deal that you're hoping for. So while you can potentially extract more out, you can just as easily lose out on deals like that too. So um, it, it's just interesting. I, I always find trades and trade negotiations fascinating because 
there's so much nuance to them and so many different ways uh, things can go. And especially in the NBA, like Zach Levine, great player. He has a long contract that, you know, big contract that's four years. And now no one really wants to trade for him. So the business of the NBA is fascinating. And it's, it's interesting to see and watch how some of these teams operate. Yep. No, you're exactly right, Eric. Well, there's, there's two more things I kind of want to touch on here. And then if there's, you know, before we go, if there's anything else that you're looking to hit on, let me know. But obviously there were reports that Miami was Terry's preferred trade destination. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard people kind of discussing that when it came out. It was like, well, the Hornets, you know, they don't have the best reputation around the league. They ought to trade him where he prefers to go. And I partially agreed, partially disagreed. My thing was with someone like Terry, who's done a lot for your franchise, is having a great season, you know, he's given a lot. I just had a good attitude. Uh, there were a lot of ups and downs. You know, you want to reward him and send him. My, my thought was you want to reward him and send him to a contender. But my thought process is that you should send him to the contender that's going to give you the best package in return that you think is right. the most helpful for your team's future. And if that so happens to be Miami where he, where he you know, preferred to go, excellent. Total win-win for both sides. But let's say I'm just going to throw out a random team, not that they, they were linked to him. But let's say you know the Minnesota Timberwolves were interested in Terry Rozier, and they were going to give you, uh, let's just say, a second first round pick. You don't deny that because Terry wants right. to go to Miami, right? You 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 take what's best. So I wasn't totally in line with hey, send him wherever he wants to go, just because I was like, do right by him by sending him somewhere where he can win, but do right by yourself and get the best package in return. But it is a good look that you know they did right by him. Obviously, sending him to Miami, putting him in a good situation. Um, you know, at, at the end of the day, you don't want to develop a habit for you know discarding guys in the worst possible way. Um, so th- this, you know, hopefully can be a front office that establishes a reputation that hey, you know, come here, we'll take care of you guys, and if it doesn't work out, we'll send you somewhere you want to go, or we'll at least set you up in a good position to right. succeed moving forward. So I do think that is a, a big kind of small win here uh, on today's yeah. trade points. Yeah, it's always good. You know, at the end of the day, it is the NBA is a people business, right? So it's always good to, you know, foster good relationships and build a good reputation. But also, I just think Miami and Charlotte, they just so happen to be great trade partners in this scenario. Honestly, with the Miami Heat, I felt like they've needed kind of a, you know, a bucket getter, a professional scorer at like the two guard or one guard for years. Um, I mean, they have Tyler Hero. He's a nice player. Definitely not taking anything away from him. But, like, just maybe another threat, you know, that they can go to on a consistent basis. Um, And I think, Terry, there makes sense. These other places, of course, you always hear the Lakers, but they already have Rees. And, and, you know, L.A. is kind of a circus, media circus at least. So, I I don't know. I don't want to make this podcast about other organizations, but – you know, I'm happy to see Terry go to Miami where he wanted to be. And from the Hornets perspective, I'm happy to get that first round pick. And I'm happy for what me and you have been talking about, that there seems to be a legit vision moving forward about where the Hornets want to go. Um, and right now it seems like collecting assets where, wherever you can get them and flexibility to, to give you options, you know, as we move forward into this new ownership tenure here. Yeah, it's funny. Uh <laughs> I, I agree. It is really exciting to see that there is some real direction and there's an actual plan that they're beginning to take steps towards executing. That's huge. That hasn't felt like 
you know, that doesn't seem like that's always been the case with the Charlotte Hornets. So it's really exciting. I was joking today in some group chats. I was like, I think I'm addicted to being a seller at the deadline. I was like, I, I need more players. I was like, I was like, except for, you know, outside of a few guys, just trade everyone. I just, I, I need that adrenaline rush of the notification that the Hornets have traded another player for more future assets and flexibility. I was like, I think I'm addicted after, after one hit of a, of a, a relatively big trade. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's exciting. The Hornets, I think the biggest trade and move I remember the Hornets ever doing at the deadline in recent years was acquiring Montrezl Harrell. Uh, mm-hmm. And that trade the Hornets sent, I, I, it was uh, Ish Smith, Vernon Carey. I don't remember if there was any draft compensation, but not necessarily a blockbuster trade with either three of those names. So uh, it's exciting well, for doing something. And then uh, again, what comes with it is, you know, maybe you know, you, the team is going to be less talented, but you get that youth movement. And and that's another reason to tune in and be excited for the team for the rest of the season. So it's it's honestly it, it's it's some people are going to be bummed because you're getting rid of some some bigger names, but mm-hmm. it's got me excited. Yeah, well, and it's also one of those things we've as people that follow the Hornets and, and the Hornets fans, they've waited years and been begging for years, like you know, let's do something, let's be proactive. It just kind of feels like the Hornets have always kind of sat back and kind of let things come to them and. While that can be good, this feels like for the first time in a long time, like they really are being proactive to make like major moves and shift a vision. Whereas in the past, it's just like, oh, well, we'll wait to the second, third waves of free agency and find a good deal. Or, you know, it, I don't know. It just seems like they've kind of waited things. This feels like the first proactive move the Hornets have made. Off the top of my head, it feels like, I don't know five years or, or something like that. Um, so it's nice to kind of, you know, be aggressive for once compared to being passive. Yeah. I mean, it's that, it's almost just nice to do something every yeah. year. The Hornets do nothing for better or for worse. I mean, you always say it, don't make a trade just to make a trade and get ripped off. But at the same time, like when you're seeing every other team uh, recess, having fun, making trades and then your team's doing nothing or making very marginal additions and subtractions gets old after a while. And uh, when, when the team clearly needs a new direction, the organization's clearly needs a new direction for them to kind of kick off the deadline almost. Well, I shouldn't say kick off the deadline. See, I can kind of do that. But uh, to kind of, you know, be one of the first big dominoes to fall uh, before the trade, trade deadline approaches. It was it was a it was a welcome sight. It was something that we haven't experienced a lot, um, and and so you know I'm excited to see what they do here moving forward. And uh, you know I'm happy with this one. But before we get to kind of the last thing I want to bring up really quickly, I do want to talk about AllHornets.com. This podcast is brought to you as always by AllHornets.com, a credentialed Charlotte Hornets outlet powered by Sports Illustrated. AllHornets.com's aim is to bring you 360-degree coverage on all things Charlotte Hornets. From breaking news, rumors, fan Q&As, and in-depth analysis, AllHornets.com covers it all, and nobody does it better. Um, Yeah, with all the trade deadline buzz, rumors, reactions, AllHornets.com is where you need to be locked into uh, to to get the latest in-depth analysis on everything Charlotte Hornets from the games on the court to all the rumors off the court. That's, that's where you need to be locked into these days. Uh, last thing, Eric, I want to touch on, and, and maybe this is kind of backwards. Maybe this is something we should have touched on earlier, but it is something I at least want to talk about. And obviously this is something we're still kind of processing as we're having this conversation. Mm-hmm. It's still very fresh. So um, while it's a little bit out of order, it is something I at least want to talk about. You and I in the past 
have discussed our vision for Terry Rozier kind of going into a six-man role for the Hornets long-term. And, and uh, it's not that I was totally out on that idea. I just think, you know, getting the long-term financial flexibility is more valuable than putting Terry Rozier in that role. Ultimately, I think Terry Rozier as a six-man makes more sense for a contender. The Hornets are not that. And, you know, gaining that financial flexibility allows them to the ability to potentially become that. Um, so I know you and I at one point were sitting here kind of advocating for Terry to move into a six-man role, whether it's this year or next. Um, would you have rather them, you know, held on to Terry and, and hope for him to evolve into that type of player? Do you think that was even something that was realistic or, or are you happy that they did what it did today? I'm glad that you asked this because I feel like me and you have talked about it offline. You see a lot of people that follow the Hornets talk about it on, on Twitter and, um, I think it's something where the we talk about on this podcast, we talk about, you know, the pieces fitting together like a puzzle. And Terry Rozier is a fantastic basketball player. But I think what we've all known for quite some time, they can play together, Terry and LaMelo, but the best team that fits LaMelo or the best type of players that you want to surround LaMelo with, Terry Rozier as his backcourt partner just never really made a ton of sense. So, while it, you know, like we've already went over, it kind of hurts to lose a talented player. Um, it just goes back to having a vision. Like, as good as Terry is, he was never going to be a part of a Charlotte Hornets team that, you know, really competed in the Eastern Conference. By the time that happened, he would be starting to age out or, or whatever it be, or he would be a six-man, right? And when you have a guy who's the emotional leader of the team, he's getting he's one of the highest paid players. It's hard to tell that guy, hey, go be the sixth man off the bench, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, with all that being the case and with all that being true, you know, just one more reason why I think why on the surface for some people losing Terry can be tough. I just think it was a necessary thing that had to happen. The Hornets had to move off because everything the Hornets do from this point moving forward LaMelo's balls extension starts next year. So he's still in his rookie deal technically this year. His extension starts next year. So really within the next two or three years, you've really got to find a way to start putting really good players or at least be able to present him with a vision that's like, okay, we're going here. I am of the mind that the Hornets, you know, everyone is gets worried about LaMelo leaving. Um, I am of the mind that, with him being under contract for five years, well, yeah, there could be times where, you know, he's kind of getting a little antsy. I mean, you have him under control. So I think three more years, if you don't have any sort of direction and if you haven't made the playoffs by then, then you're probably moving off LaMelo. But considering all the flexibility you have and hopefully some of your younger players continue to get better, um, I don't know. Maybe there is light at the end of the tunnel after all, but only time will tell. Yeah, in three years, if you haven't done anything, LaMelo may be moving off of you if you're the Hornets. Right. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, my, my thing is, yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad they did what they did. Like I said, I think moving off his money helps the Hornets become a team that can have a player of his caliber at the six-man. Having someone as good as Terry as your six-man is a luxury. I mean, your starting five is good enough to where you can have someone who's that good coming off of the bench. I think is I think just plain and simple, Terry's just too good to be a six man right now. Too good to be a six man on the Charlotte Hornets. 
It may be different on yeah. the Miami Heat, on the Charlotte Hornets. He's just too good of a player. And when during Terry's contract, especially if he stayed here, were the Hornets going to be good enough to move him to that role? I just didn't – you know, the more – the more I think about it, I know we were advocating for that to happen, and ideally maybe it would have. But I, I Realistically, I don't know when that was going to happen during his contract with the Hornets, again, especially without the, the financial flexibility that they have now that they're moving off. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and with Terry, it was just one of those things, more so than the player itself, the money, like – I think that's a problem with viewing Terry as a six man. Like he would be an amazing six man, right? But he almost makes too much money in the NBA today to be, oh, this is our six man. Like, yes, a six man should make good money, but, you know, close to $25, $30 million, that's kind of pricey for that type of player. Um, but, Definitely on the yeah. Hornets, at least. Right, exactly. So, and, and like we talked about, the Hornets at this stage aren't talented enough to really have the luxury of moving him, you know, to the six-man spot. But um, I don't know. At this point, I feel like I've really touched on most of the things I, and most of the thoughts that I have on the situation. I'm just excited to see, you know, where the Hornets go from here. Yeah. Um, that that kind of leads me to what I was going to say to wrap it up here. I'm sure there will be a lot more moves uh adrian wojanowski has indicated as such and the fact that they traded terry as the first player that they're trading kind of leads you to believe that as well uh if you just want to you know uh, put the pieces of the puzzle together there so you know i'm sure throughout the week and the you know the days leading up to the february 8th trade deadline there's going to be a lot more of these kind of emergency reaction pods whether it's us or other people on all hornets so stay tuned for that uh, those will be dropping as quickly, you know, as we at all Hornets can get those up. Um, Eric, just a quick um, programming note for Eric and I, you know, we usually release on Saturday. It's unlikely that we will put something out on Saturday since we're recording now. Obviously, if there's any sort of breaking news that, and, you know, we have mutual availability that, you know, and something needs to be recorded and uploaded on Saturday, then maybe that'll happen. But more than likely, we will not be uh, posting our weekly Saturday episode this week as we're doing this right now. But, yeah, stay locked in uh, to all Hornets to get all the breaking news and analysis here to all the different moves we're going to see. Uh, and, yeah, Eric, like, like you said, I'm excited to see what happens next. By the next time you and I are talking on here, the, the roster could be looking completely different. So uh, exciting times. You know, It could be a little sad to get rid of some familiar faces who we've come to love and root for over the years, but it's exciting that the Hornets have a new direction that they're going in. So. I'm really looking forward to seeing what uh, what will come next. Yep, no doubt. All right, that'll be it for today's episode. And until next time, we'll catch everybody then.